This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. This was written by the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the song you all know. John Newton was his name. And I think this explains the Christian life in the way it should be lived, you know. And it also explains our dependence on the Lord. And in today's world, sadly, in today's church even, people don't realize the importance of surrender, dependence on Jesus. Because the human nature always wants to help God. We always want to do something. So listen to these words. I am sure I cannot, I cannot endure to the end. Now he wrote that in 1807. I'm sure I cannot endure to the end. And then he uh, says this. I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not turn away from me. Jeremiah 32 verse 40. So, and I'm going to read this real slow because it's so deep. I, I don't want you missing not even a line. So he says, Jesus to whom I have been led to commit myself has engaged to save me absolutely. And from first to last, he has promised not only that he will not depart from me, but that he will put, keep, maintain his fear in my heart so that I shall never finally depart from him. And if he does not do this for me, I have no security against my turning apostate. For I am so weak, inconsistent, and sinful. I am so encompassed with deadly snares from the world. And I am so liable to such assaults from the subtility, vigilance, and power of Satan that unless I am kept by the power of God, I'm sure I cannot endure to the end. I do believe that the Lord will keep me while I walk humbly and obediently before him. But while this all, it would be called comfort, for I'm prone to wonder and need a shepherd whose watchful eye compassionate heart and boundless mercy will pity, pardon, and restore my backsliding. For though by his goodness and not by my own I have hitherto been preserved in the path of holiness, 
Yet I feel those evils within me, which would, which would shortly break loose and bear me down to destruction, were he not ever present with me to control them. Those who comfortably hope to see his face and glory, but depend upon their own watchfulness and endeavors to preserve themselves from falling, must be much wiser, better, and stronger than I, or at least they cannot have so deep and painful a sense of their own weakness and vileness as daily experience forces upon me. I desire to be found in the use of the Lord's appointed means for the renewal of my spiritual strength. But I dare not undertake to watch a single hour, nor do I find the ability to think a good thought, nor a power in myself of resisting any temptation. My strength is perfect weakness, and all I have is sin. In short, I must sit down in despair if I did not believe that he who has begun a good work in me will carry it out to completion. Hold me up and I shall be safe. Psalm 119, verse 117. That is the most powerful description of the Christian life I've ever read in my life. A man so dependent on the Lord that he cannot trust his own heart. You see, the Bible says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us blameless, without blame, before him. To him be all the glory. So, after 48 years of ministry and almost 50 years as a Christian, I've come to, to the conclusion, and I'm coming more and more to it as I get older, there's no good thing in my flesh. Everything the flesh produces is rejected. Even praise. Even prayer. Even worship. Because much of what we call worship today is flesh. I hate to be so real with you. Because it's not born by the Holy Spirit. It has no deep effect on the hearts of men. It doesn't carry the presence of Jesus. It's emotional. People call it worship. It's not worship. Because we cannot worship. Only the Holy Spirit worships. And when we surrender to Him, His worship becomes alive in us. That's a fact. No different than prayer. We cannot pray. Not one of us can pray. How can you talk to a God and all you are is dust? How can dust talk to God? 
only by the Spirit. Because your spirit man is the only man who can worship the Lord. Jesus said, the Father seeks that they who worship, worship in spirit. Not emotional experience. Or not something that the mind produces. So, <clears throat> I, I started the Christian life <clears throat> by attending a church in Canada called the Catacombs. Now, the Catacombs was a, and it's the name, by the way, the Catacombs is where the Christians in, in Rome hid. They were caves like a, an underground cemetery called Catacombs. And still there, people go visit. But the, the church they called the Catacombs was held in St. Paul's Cathedral on Bloor Street, an Anglican church. And thousands and thousands of kids would come to those meetings uh, days of the Jesus movement and, and I was part of those kids. I had long hair and curly and you name it, but I didn't do drugs, thank God. But a lot of them came from the drug culture of the day and there was a great revival. Later, that worship became uh, polluted. It, 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 it lost the beauty of, of the Holy Spirit's touch. And so a lot of it became very, uh, it started beautifully, naturally, because every move of God starts with beauty and purity. But then later people, I think, began to write songs uh, to become famous. And it lost the touch. And then you, you uh, felt it, something went wrong with the atmosphere just before I left. It started many years before I got saved. I got saved in 1972. I was 19 years old, uh, early 72, February 14 to be exact. And when I went to that amazing uh, church, Lorne Cunningham spoke the night. Uh, when that was the first time I ever, ever went to a church that was charismatic. I grew up Greek Orthodox. And this was my first experience with the born again movement, you know, because I got saved on Monday. Now this is Thursday. And I was quite scared when people began to hug me and tell me I love you. And I didn't know who they were from Adam. <laughs> and they were all so joyful and beautiful and different. And I was like frozen. I didn't know what to, what to do. But anyways, and Lone Cunningham preached the message that day. I'll never, never forget. I still remember everything he said. But anyways... So when that movement began to kind of die uh, around 74, 75, it began to wither away. The Lord, by His grace, opened the way for me to go and see Catherine Kuhlman. And I saw her on TV and I thought, whoa, you know, she was like a little too much for me. Hello there. <laughs> I mean, that's the way she talked. Have you been waiting for me? Well, that was like, I wasn't sure what, what, what to think. And I saw it first on TV. I had a friend, David Kift was his name. He said, oh, there's a woman named Catherine Kuhlman. She is on CBS Sunday morning. And 
So I tuned in one Sunday morning and I was a little taken back by the way she was so dramatic. And then I went to her, to her service shortly after that and I was just, I wept the whole time I was sitting there. When she came on that platform, there is no way I can describe that moment as long as I live, there's just no way. Jesus walked on that platform. There was such a holy presence that it was indescribable. Now in the church I went to, the catacombs that began with such glory and beauty and ended up going down to 150 people who became a little different and lost it. 3,000 kids in its glory day. Every Thursday, 3,000 young people, I was one of them, would sit on the floor, pack that cathedral. The glory of God was so mighty. And when they finished, 150 people who had to prophesy what to eat for breakfast. They lost it. It was terrible, terrible. They, they, they got into the submission teaching, was called mashed potatoes. That's what they called the teaching, if you can believe it, where you had to submit to your elders and submit to this and submit to that. It, was just, it, it, it went way past what the, what the Bible teaches on submission. And people began to prophesy what to eat and who to marry and what job to go. It was really not biblical. At that time is when I left and went to Ms. Kuman's meeting and I went from that to the most glorious service I could ever be in my life. And Ms. Kuman had a terrible voice when it came to singing. I mean, she, she didn't have a great voice, nothing like Dominique or John, when, when she sang, you know, her voice would break and sometimes she wouldn't even have the right key for the song, but nobody cared because the glory of God was there. And all of us would be weeping, just tears flowing, and you, and you didn't know why you were crying. So I saw the real and I saw the phony. I saw the, the, the the amazing power of God flow through a lady named Catherine Kuman, and I went to her services for about, from, goodness, about four years before she passed. She passed in 76. Later, I was involved in her ministry. I never met her. I, I never met Miss Kuman. But to my shock, her, her foundation was called the Catherine Kuman Foundation asked me, believe it or not, to conduct her memorial service. And I was quite shocked why they would ask me, and I had never, never met Miss Kuman. And that was my first experience to uh, learn a lot about the Holy Spirit's power. And then I stayed with them, with the foundation for four years. I'd go down to Pittsburgh and preach every month at the Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium. And I did a lot of radio programs for them. All of the radio programs I did are at Wheaton College now. I can't even listen to them myself. They gave everything to Wheaton. But I learned more about ministry, being a part of the Catherine Kuhlman ministry after she went to heaven than had I even met her. 
So I was a part of the real, how shall I say, a ministry with the real power of God. The change you saw in the people's lives, her staff, just everything was so beautiful. And one thing that Ms. Schumann taught, and I heard not one, I don't know how many messages I heard her teach on radio and in her meetings, and all she talked about is Jesus. You never heard uh, how to do this, here's a formula, never. It was all about the Lord, all about the Lord. She never told you to focus on yourself, always the Lord. Every question, the answer was always Jesus, always. And what I love about this ministry, and I'm not saying it because these are my kids, it's all about Jesus here. It's not about how to build a church and how to stand on the platform and how many minutes you worship and how many minutes you preach. It's all about the Lord. It's not about uh, the mechanical stuff. It's about the spiritual reality of Jesus in our life. So may the Lord keep you in that beautiful flow. That's why people are here from all over America. And maybe even many parts of the world, they come, I'm sure they have. Maybe somebody here tonight from somewhere outside the U.S. Well, God bless you. But what, what I want to say is this. As long as Jesus is our life, and Jesus is all in all to all of us, we will never fail. But the second we look to the preacher or people or ourselves, that's when we fail. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Romans chapter six for just a moment. And I want you, I want you to notice something. <clears throat> I'm gonna read verse 11. And I'm gonna probably read right through verse 14. And I want you to notice uh, something very important here. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now, we, we've all read this, 
many times, but we seem to miss one amazing headline here. Amazing truth. Um, you nor I can obey any, any of this at all without this secret. It says, reckon ye yourselves to be that indeed unto sin. Can you really? Can you really reckon yourself to be dead? Keep listening. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Can you do that? Can you really? Do? Well, let's just think here. Can you really control your sin? Can you control your thoughts? Can you, can you control what comes against you from the devil? The temptations, the world, the traps, all that. We're commanded, reckon yourselves dead. How? How? Don't let sin reign in your life, in your body. How? Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. How? But yield yourselves to God. How? If you have the answer to how, then you will have the answer to sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin will not have dominion over you if you answer the three questions. How do you reckon yourselves dead? How not to let sin touch you, reign in your life? And how to yield your members to God, not to sin. Here's what people miss. Look at verse 11. You tell me if you can find the secret in verse 11. Come on, you all know your Bibles. You tell me what is the secret of this whole passage. It's in verse 11. Where is it? Here it is. Through Jesus Christ. If you don't understand through Jesus Christ, you're lost. You can't do it. Now, what does through Jesus Christ means? What does it mean? So it says, reckon yourselves dead. Indeed dead. Not in just your, your head. Indeed dead unto sin. And alive unto God. Yeah, this is all possible. Absolutely every bit of it. You can reckon yourself. And the word reckon means you see yourself as dead. You live like you're dead to sin. It's a real reality in your life. There is no dominion of sin over your life. Jesus came to set us free from sin. But most, sadly, maybe I shouldn't say most, but a lot of Christians want to be free from the consequence of sin. Not from sin itself. 
They, they, they want to enjoy their sin. But Jesus, please set me free from the consequence. Don't punish me for my sin. But Jesus came to set us free from sin. The power of sin. Keep that scripture up so they can see it again. So, it says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the secret right there to the Christian life. So, how can I live my life through someone I don't know? How can I live my life through someone I don't talk to? Or walking with daily? How can I live my life through someone I only talk to in church? But not in school. Or on my job. Or at home. How can I live my life through him if I don't acknowledge him when I wake up? If I don't say good morning to him? If he's not a part of my every hour, you can sing I need the every hour till your face turns blue. It's not going to matter. But we need him every minute. Not just every hour. Because this Christian life, you can't live it. And I'm going to tell all of you, hell is not where you want to live. Hell is not the place that any Christian wants to go to. But many, sadly, receive Jesus as a fire escape. They don't really want him. They just don't want to burn. They use him. They say, Lord, I'll give you my life, but leave me alone. So therefore, what they're really saying to him is, I'm going to just use you to escape hell's fire. And I've said many, many, many times, Jesus is not a fire escape. You see, the, the Christian life says, Lord, I give you my whole life and you live your life in me and through me. Because there's nothing I can do to be a Christian. You can't live the Christian life. You really, really can't. Only the Holy Spirit can live that life. And when we allow him to live that life through us, it's so easy. Because if we want to live it, it's so tough. Come on. Do you really love your enemies? <laughs> You'll say you love them till they say something nasty about your mother. <laughs> or something ugly about you. Or if they attack you and call you horrible names. See, you can't love your enemies without the Holy Ghost loving them. You can't. 
Maggie Hartner, who worked with Catherine Kuhlman, was someone in church she did not like. She, Ms. Kuhlman had a church at the Stambo Auditorium in Youngstown, and she was holding her Easter Sunday morning service and came out to the lobby and happened to see Maggie speak very kindly to a woman she did not like. And Catherine said, oh, I didn't think you liked the lady. And what Maggie was saying to the lady, oh, that's a lovely dress you have on today. Oh, the Lord bless you this wonderful Easter Sunday morning. She was saying all the nicest things to her. And Catherine said, I didn't think you liked her. Oh, she said, it's amazing what you can say when Jesus is so real. <laughs> it's amazing what you can say when Jesus is so real. Because his reality took over. So, the secret is what I'm going to talk about. You want it? Yes. Lift your hands and say, Lord, help me. Help me understand it. Receive it. And live it. Amen. Because it's taken me many years to learn what I'm about to talk about. How to surrender. How do I surrender to the Lord where he completely takes over my life? It's a lifelong lesson. It doesn't happen in a week or a month or a year or even 10 years because we just are not made, I mean flesh-wise. The flesh rejects that message completely because the flesh wants to be king. The flesh wants to run the life of each believer, that old flesh, that old self. So, in 1 Kings 20, beginning at verse 1, there's a, an amazing statement made by a wicked king named Ahab to another wicked king, a Syrian king. But notice the words he says. Notice what Ahab says to Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria, who was an enemy of the king of Israel, Ahab. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were 32 kings with him, horses, chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said unto him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver, your gold is mine, your wives are mine, your children are mine, even the goodliest are mine. Look at the answer of King Ahab. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all I have. Now stop, hold it. Here's a wicked king saying to another wicked king, all I am and all I have is yours. Because he was afraid. Ben-Hadad had 32 kings with him coming to destroy him. And he said, all I am, all I have, and all I have is yours. 
If a wicked king can say that to another wicked king, I can say to my Redeemer, who is not coming to destroy me. If a king can say that to another king, and we have a problem saying it to our Heavenly Father, and meaning it, it shouldn't be like that. So, the Christian life is really a life of surrender. And if it isn't a life of surrender, it's not a Christian life. But what does it mean to surrender? This is what I'm getting at. You can come sit down, brother. I'll let you. I'll be real nice to you. Because you're a nice young man. You're doing your job. Bless you. So, the Christian life means surrender to the one who was crucified completely. But it may take you a long time to get to that place. It's all right. God will work with you. Now, at the same time, you have to realize you cannot surrender unless God works that surrender in you. Because you can't. You can sing, I surrender all every day, and you won't surrender. Because the world has great power over us. Great power. You, you heard what I, I read, what John Newton wrote. It's impossible to live the Christian life fighting the devil by yourself or fighting the world and its influence on you. We've come to the place now in our life where it is a must we get to that place. Otherwise, we will lose all that God began to do in our life. Please understand, the way to glory is narrow, and very few will find it, because they're trying to find it by themselves. They're trying to live the Christian life by themselves. I have known, dear God, have I known evangelists in the 70s who died died with demons coming to get them. They were screaming while they were dying. Screaming with fear. And they were healing evangelists. Get the message. One of the biggest names of the 70s, while he was dying, was screaming, they're coming to get me. Someone help me. He, he saw demons coming to get him. He finished wrong. The Christian life is not a game. And God does not want you to live it with your own strength. You won't make it. Surrender to Jesus before it's too late. Because the forces outside are becoming more wicked than ever. 
the world is getting darker by the day. The world I grew up in was simple in comparison to the world today. It was innocent to what's going on today through the internet and a whole lot more. So, the Christian life, we got to go back to its simplicity. Its simplicity. The gospel is simple. Life in Jesus is very simple. Let's not leave the simplicity of Jesus. And all he asks of us is, give me your life. Let me live my life in you, through you. But you say, how? That's what we're dealing with tonight. So, let's go to Matthew 16. <clears throat> and I pray, as I am ministering the word, that God himself will illuminate your soul. That he will show you by the Spirit. Because I can't show you, I can only tell you what the Bible says on my experience. But God can literally reveal to you that simple life. So, Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The question again is how, Lord? How do I deny myself when I have no strength to deny myself? How do I take up my cross and follow you when I have no strength to do that? For whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We saw earlier in Romans 6.11. Reckon yourselves dead to sin, the flesh, the world, how? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, I must have a relationship with the Son of God daily. Intimate relationship. Give things that don't matter up. That don't benefit your spiritual life. Let me become raw. Stop watching things on TV that entertain you while your soul is dying. Walk away from friends that are polluting your mind and stealing your heart from the Lord. Stop giving time to the things that are destroying your destiny in Jesus. And I'm speaking mainly to the young people. This is not the time to waste time. This is not the time to give to friends or internet or TV or books and magazines just to entertain your mind while your spirit man is crying for life. And your soul is crying for peace. So Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor I'll give you rest, but you have to take my yoke. What is your yoke, Lord? Surrender. Give me your life. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. 
Surrender is so easy. You see how easy? It's easier to surrender to Jesus than to, to surrender to the chair you're sitting on. Not one of you tonight checked if the chair can hold you. Nobody looked if the screws are on right and tight. You just sat down, trusting that chair would not collapse under you. Jesus will always hold you. It's simpler to trust in Jesus than the chair. And think how simple it is to trust the chair. We rely on him, just like Newton said. He said, God said, I will put my fear in you, in Jeremiah. I will put my fear in you that you'll not depart from me. In the Psalms, Lord, hold me up and I'll not fall. What did I start with earlier? Unto him who's able to keep you from falling and present you before the throne without blame. You don't have to do it. He is the one who will do it unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Unto him. It demands communion with him. It demands intimate fellowship with him. It demands we lay aside the things that don't matter. Including family. What did he, what did he say to us? In Psalm 45. Can you go with me there? I'll show you. I'll show you what he's looking for. It's difficult. I know. This is not an easy thing to receive. But it's your life we're talking about. And destiny in Jesus. And David starts by saying. My heart is entirely a good matter. I'm reading Psalm 45 verse 1. Why? Because he was speaking of the things which are talking about the king of glory. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is a pen of a ready writer. And the Holy Spirit now is speaking to the Son of God and says, You are fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into your lips. God has blessed you forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. In thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to the Son of God. He said, your arrows are, are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people will fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. You love righteousness, hate iniquity. Therefore, God, your God hath anointed you with the oil of gladness. This is all the Holy Ghost speaking to the Son of God. Not just about Jesus, but to Jesus. All your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the, out of the ivory palaces, they have made you glad. But watch this. Verse 9. King's daughters were among your honorable women. Upon your right hand it stand the queen. Who is that queen? The church. And now, here is the advice to the church. Hearken, O daughter. Listen here to the voice of the Holy Spirit, in other words. Consider 
In other words, think about it. Plan it properly. Don't just rush. Consider, incline your ear. Forget also your own people and your father's house. So shall the king, who is the king Jesus, so shall the king greatly desire your beauty, for he is your Lord and worship him. What is he asking of us? He's saying, forget your people, even your father's house, and then the king will desire your beauty. The king desires your beauty when you give up everything for him. Everything for him. The most difficult thing, the most difficult thing to do is to walk away from family when God calls you. When they want you to go one way, and God wants you to go another way. When God calls you into the ministry, but your dad and mom want you to be a physician, or engineer, or have a job, they ignore eternal destinies, so they don't have to worry about their children having money to pay their bills. They forget, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. They forget that you can lose your money in a second. The world gives you no security, only God does. So we are to obey the Lord. We're not looking at guarantees from humanity. The Lord, only the Lord. I've seen this work in my life and the lives of so many I've known in ministry and wonderful people not in ministry, just who trusted God for daily living. Never lacked, not a day. Well, the presence of God was shining through these wonderful people. When I was young, I, used, I would go to prayer meetings. You know, one of them was on a farm up in Markham, north of Toronto. And those wonderful people would gather every Monday morning. Mostly older women, if you can believe it. Very few young people were around those days. And these women would talk to Jesus with such beauty, with such reality, it made me jealous. They talked to him like they really knew him, and I was young, and I didn't understand how, how they could have such a relationship with the Son of God, and I was still struggling with mine, because I just got saved. And I think about the many widows I knew in those days. Never one day did they lack, because they trusted him with their life. What about Mrs. Bontane in Calcutta, India? I was amazed. A woman in Calcutta, India, her husband and her built a hospital in the most horrible area in the world. John, 
I saw people dying on the sidewalks in Calcutta. When I was in Calcutta, my emotions could not handle it. Couldn't handle it. I took Kent Marrox with me and David Palmquist and others. These, these guys were crying, picking up dead bodies off the streets, taking them to the hospital that Mrs. Buntain was running. 250,000 people every day came to that hospital and they treated them free. They were Hindus, Muslims, and other religions who came to that hospital. No one was rejected, not one. You can catch disease from breathing the air in Calcutta. You can catch it just breathing. And that dear woman was there 40 years when I was there. And she, she actually stayed longer than that. 40 years, she looked at me, she said, I have not been sick one day in all my life. She said, I've not even had a fever, not even a cold. I said, Mrs. Bantain, how did you do it? Oh, she said, you know the answer. <laughs> you know the answer. The Lord protected her from people who were dying all around her. Mother Teresa brought her people to that hospital, and I saw them with my own eyes. When I met Mother Teresa, and I did, by the way, she looked at me and I gave her a, a nice donation because they were doing such a great job in Calcutta. I was so touched by what I saw. She took that check from me and she held my hand like this. And she pulled my fingers. She said, you did it unto him. She pulled my five fingers like that. I can still feel her tough hand. She had a strong hand, that woman. You did it unto him. And I just stared at this short little lady. And I was amazed how healthy she looked. And Mrs. Bundy, and they were friends. In Calcutta, India. I went to Haiti. I cannot describe to you the death that I saw. Cannot describe to you. One of my guys, Truett Hancock, said to the team that came down to film, he said he would not last two hours down here. When I landed, went to Port-au-Prince, I will never, never, never forget the children on the sidewalks, the animals dead, the bodies that were dying are all around me. And I was with this amazing missionary and his wife. They looked like angels. I, couldn't, I could not believe I saw such death, and yet those people untouched by it. There are children, perfect health, little children, their own kids living there. Perfect health. And they said the same. They said, we haven't had one day of sickness. Only God does that. They trusted him completely for their safety. Mrs. Buntain just passed away a few weeks ago. For all those years. And I was in Calcutta back in the 90s. They lived that life I'm talking about. Corrie Boom, 
Have you, have you ever heard the name Corrie ten Boom? How many have not? Put your hands up high. She was a Dutch woman who went to, who was put in a concentration camp by the Nazis for hiding Jews in their home. All of you need to see the hiding place, her life story. I met Corey. I was privileged to meet her because her nephew was my friend. Danilo was his name. Because when I went to Holland, I went through Youth with a Mission and they put us in homes. And one of my uh, partner who was there in the house was Danilo, her nephew. So she came in one day looking for Danilo. She said, have you seen Danilo, my nephew? I said, well, he was just here. And she grabbed my cheek and squeezed it. She said, where, where did you get that face? <laughs> I said, Israel. She said, Shalom. <laughs> and we went to, to her house and I danced with her. Can you believe it? Imagine some of you kids that dance here if Cody was, if, if you were there with me. We were dancing in circles in our house. And she told us the story. She said to her father, Papa, if I am taken by the Nazis, will I survive? Because they knew they, they could get caught. They were hiding Jews in their home from Hitler and his soldiers and Gestapo. And she told us kids, I was there. She said, my papa told me, when I put you on the train for a trip, when do I give you the ticket? Just before boarding, she said, he said, so will God. He'll give you grace just when you need it. And she was in that camp, in that concentration camp. And they set her free by mistake. And later, one of the soldiers that had caused her sister's death came up to her and he was saved later and asked her for forgiveness and she had a hard time forgiving that man but she said the love of God came right through her only Jesus can do that people when that man caused the death of her sister she loved him what a God we serve. The life of surrender, that's the Christian life we need today more than ever. I can feel the anointing here, can't you? Yeah. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. And verse 9. I had not seen nor ear heard Neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is when this happens. This happens when we surrender. This is when we begin to experience Ephesians 3.20. We all, we all read these wonderful scriptures and we claim them for ourselves. But we're not doing what God is asking us. It's not about mental faith it's about surrender now unto him who's able who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us what is that power working in us 
but surrender to the Lord, walking with him without our own strength. If you want God's blessings, there's only one answer, surrender. Now, here's what I want you to know about our precious Lord. He knows how many of us have tried and failed. He knows how many of us have failed miserably and we've condemned ourselves because we could not find the secret. So here's what God says to us. He said, listen, I'm not going to ask you to surrender on your own strength. Because you cannot do it. You cannot do it by self-will or self-effort or self-confidence. You cannot surrender. You have to come to the place to realize and admit, I cannot even surrender to Jesus as much as I want to surrender. It's not self-effort. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-will. Paul the Apostle made an amazing statement one day when he came to this conclusion about the flesh. Romans 7.18 he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And then he said, to will is present. But how to perform? I can't find it. Now, let me ask you, how many of you want to surrender to the Lord? Put your hands up high. Everybody, exactly. Just like Paul, he said, to will is present. I really want to do it. But how to perform? I find not. And that's been my struggle for years and years. And many of us have struggled with the same thing. We have tried. We have failed. Miserably failed. But the God we serve knew it and has the answer for us. I mean, imagine Paul the Apostle calling himself in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. I can't live this life. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What, what did he call the body? The body of this death. Every time I try, it leads me to death. Because I just can't make it. I think when we come to that place, like Paul came, or oh, wretched man that I am, when we come to that place where we say, I have the will, but I just don't know how to do it. I think that's when our miracle begins. I think that's when our deliverance from this flesh begins. I think this is when Romans 8.13 happens. And what does it say? It says this. If you live after the flesh, you will die. But if through the Spirit you mortify, put to death, the deeds of the body, you shall live. How do I put to death 
the deeds of the body. Do I lock myself in some monastery in the Sinai desert? No. I take my flesh with me to that monastery in the Sinai desert. I'm not free. I'm going to be locked up in some cave with this horrible body of death. Oh, many have tried to be free from this body of death by becoming these monks. You see them all over my part of the world. Everywhere you turn, you see a monastery. One by Jericho, one down the Sinai, one by Jerusalem, one in Nazareth, one everywhere. Everywhere you go in Israel, there's monasteries where these people live beating up their body into submission, starving it from eating and sleeping, believing it will lead them to holiness, and all it does, it leads them to death. They lose their mind, many of them, because that's not the way you fight the flesh. There's only one way to fight the flesh. And Jesus told us how, and we're coming to that in just a few moments. Uh, you have to understand something. This is very, very important. There are two spirits at work in this world. There is the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the world. These are two massive forces at work. The Holy Spirit and the spirit of the world. And Self and the body belongs to the spirit of the world. And that is our greatest curse and enemy, the flesh. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I am not afraid of the devil because I can resist him and he'll flee. But I cannot resist this body. The Bible says resist the devil, he'll flee. It never says resist the flesh. Because this flesh sleeps in my bed. <laughs> Wakes up with me. He's in the car with me. What do I do with it? I can resist the devil. With the word of God, I can say the scripture says and he'll flee. I can say this, the scripture says to this body and it won't go nowhere. Jesus said, it is written, and the devil left. You can say it is written till your face turns red and the body is not going to go nowhere unless you do what the Bible says. What is it? We're getting there. <laughs> Be patient. As they say in Hebrew, layout, layout, slowly. Something like this, you can't rush. Now, here is the problem. Here's the problem. There are probably many of you, I pray it is not many, maybe just some, that don't even have the, the desire to surrender to Jesus. You say you want it, but you're really not being honest. All to Jesus I surrender. And you don't mean a word. There are people like that. 
Because after they sing, I surrender all, they go live for the devil tomorrow. So the desire is not there. Even though you sing the song and even though you say the right thing, it's not there. So here is my answer to you that it's so marvelous. In Philippians 2.13, we begin looking at the answer for all this. Are you people learning anything? Yes. Good. Now, let's look at Philippians 2.13. It is God which worketh in you both to will. He gives you the will. And to do his good pleasure. Now, everyone focuses on verse 12. Very well. It's important. My beloved, as you have obeyed always, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But hold it! Can you really do that? Can you work it out? No. You've tried. We've all tried. So he answers, God gives you the will to work it out. But how do I work, work it out? Let Jesus take over your life. Working it out doesn't mean you are doing it. Because it is against everything in the scriptures. That God says, I will do it. Israel tried. What did God say? I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you and I will cause you to know me. I will cause you to love me. Let me ask you a question quick. Did Adam repent? Did Adam even say, I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me, Lord. When Adam, hey kids, when Adam sinned, he didn't even say, I'm sorry. He said, it's your fault. Did, did that change God's love for him? No. Did it change God's promise of, re of redemption? No. He still came and covered him with, with the skin of an animal promising redemption. And then his descendants all began to worship the devil. Did that change God's love? No. How about Israel? He brings them out of Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea, the Sinai Desert gives them the promised land. And the whole time they, they've been worshiping idols, the gods of Egypt. Tempting God over and over and over. Rebelling, disobedient, and on and on. Did that change God's love? No. And God would come through Jeremiah the prophet and, and say, I'm going to give you the heart. Listen, God said, basically, if I can paraphrase since you hate me, I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to give you a heart that will love me even though you don't want to. I will put my word in you since you hate it. I will put my spirit in you and make you live the life. And what did they have to do? Exactly what Jesus said to us. Exactly what Jesus said to us. The message has not changed. All the New Testament, is, it's the same. God says, I want you to live a holy life. 
how Lord, I can't even understand how I can be holy. You can't live a holy life. God says, I'm holy, be, be holy. There's only one simple answer. And here we come now. This means it's just about to get very serious when he plays that instrument. You remember that man who came to the Lord about his son in Mark 9. And Jesus said, believe. He said, oh Lord, I can't. Would you help my unbelief, please? David, King David, the last verse in Psalm 119 is incredible. Basically, David said, Lord, I'm too tired to find you. Would you please find me? If you read that amazing song, in fact, I'd like to read it to you now. We'll, 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 we'll come to what I was going to say to give you that beautiful answer you've all been waiting for and to explain it to you also because we have to explain that to you okay Psalm 119 the last verse 176 I have gone astray like a lost sheep seek thy servant in other words Lord I can't find you I am just too worn out I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm inconsistent. Just like John Newton said, Lord, come find me. Or like the man who said, help my unbelief, I can't even believe. So, God will do it. I think, I think about Peter sometimes. Michael, Jesse, when Peter began the Christian life, he, he kind of made a commitment to, to himself to be the best Christian there could be. Because if you study Peter, he was honest, he meant well, determined to do well. I mean, even saying to the Lord, you're the son of God. And I'm going to go with you to the cross. And when it came to it, he failed. And denied he even knew him. So it shows you, it's good to say, okay, Lord, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Like I see many of you at the altar, I've been here before, and you really mean right. And you mean well, just like Peter did. But here's what it comes down to. This is one of the most wonderful, most amazing, most simple thing God asks of us. The Christian life, just stay with me a second. Ryan, not one place in the Bible does it say, try to live the Christian life or try harder. It says one thing. Yield. 
surrender. How? Ah, great. John 15 is the answer. There's only one answer. In verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me. Not with me, in me. And I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now let's 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 understand something here. This is the simplest thing we can talk about because the branch has no responsibility. The branch has no responsibility except to receive the life of the vine. You have no responsibility to live the Christian life. It is his responsibility to live the Christian life. It's the Lord. And all he asks is abide, not visit. Not visit. Because many have tried to live the Christian life by visiting the presence of God. Not by staying in the presence of God daily. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at jesusimage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.